0: Good evening. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible uh, to the New Testament book of uh, Colossians. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Colossians 2, verses 6 as always, Paul seeks to encourage the church. He wants it to grow in unity and love for one another. Uh, together that they would reach the full assurance and understanding of the mystery of God which is Christ Himself. In verse 3, it says, in, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Quite an inclusive statement. In Christ are the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. As we focus on Christ on his person and his work we have everything that we need to live lives pleasing to god second peter tells us that god has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence And so, as we grow in understanding the beauty and the glory of the gospel, we will grow in our love for Christ himself. And as we grow in love for him, we will grow in obedience to him. And so, look with me at verses 6 to 9 of Colossians 2. We're six to eight. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, uh, this evening we ask that your spirit uh, would speak uh, through this humble preacher that your spirit would open the ears of your people and that together we would grow to know and love you more and we ask this in Jesus name amen we live in a world of deception and self delusion. Fallen humanity tries to live as though there is no God. But they can't escape the reality of God's self-revelation. In Psalm 19, uh, we're told the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. That the voice of creation speaks to everyone. God's general revelation leaves everyone without excuse. God made us to know him. Well, as Paul tells us in Romans 1, uh, but we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The world lies to itself and to one another and deny the reality that they were created to know God. And and again, in Romans 1, verses 21 to 23, Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. He goes on to say that they worshipped the creature rather than the creator inside. God gives them over to their sin. This suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. This self-deception manifests itself in all kinds of ways. And the, the world and world history has just been a roller coaster of man finding one way or another to suppress the truth of God in them. In the... 16th century and following, we entered into what's called uh, the modern age, which gave rise to uh, scientific revolution, the Reformation, the Industrial Age, and all of our modern conveniences. It gave rise to uh, political democracy in the way that we know it today. And all these things, science, technology, freedom, the right to vote, are wonderful gifts from a loving God. But humanity has not received those gifts in submission to God but rather humanity has seen that it needs no god and has elevated himself to the place of god just repeating the sin of the garden instead of allowing god to be the arbiter of truth man decided that he would know what was right and that he would decide For himself, based upon his own thinking, what was right and what was wrong. For the last 500 years, scientific rationalism has been the god of our day. The only things that we are to believe are those things that can be proven by science or at least comprehended by the human mind, since we are the end-all and be-all. Everything else, including God, is to be rejected. The problem is not science per se, but a humanistic approach to science that presupposes that we live in a closed world mechanical universe that things just happen by nature and that the only things that exist are matter and energy anything that cannot be explained by science must be rejected outright forget the fact that humanistic science can't explain the big bang or where life began or how it began, it assumes those things to be necessarily true because the alternative is that there is a creator God who made it all, and they just can't accept that. As Christians, we don't have to choose between science and faith. We don't need to buy into this humanistic approach to science. We believe in a faith filled scientific endeavor that joyfully explores God's creation. We don't have to deny our faith to go into medicine or research but we do have to ask ourselves some basic questions. How does science or math, or for that matter, arts or politics or business or anything else that we do, how is it different? Because God exists. What does it look like to view those areas of human existence under the lordship of Christ? Not captive to the philosophy of the world. It seems as though Christians have compromised and... Given in, thinking there's no way to do certain things in our world like science without giving away our faith. But that's not true. Because God made this world, God made science, and God made math. All the things the world claims that belongs to it belong to us because God made them. But most of us are not math and science types, so we think, what does all this have to do with me anyway? Everything. Everything because we live in this world shaped by empty deceit and false philosophy. It's in the air that we breathe. It affects how we think about life. I don't think much about math, and I don't think much about science, but I do think about my life, and how often do I think about my life in light of eternity? Too often, most of us think more about life here and now. We tend to think of our life and we measure it in, in, in terms of things that we can quantify. How much money do I make? Or how big is my house? We get caught up in a rat race and compare the value of our life to everyone else. How often do we think about our own self-interest? rather than thinking first of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What should your life look like? What should your family look like? What should your job look like? How should you spend your free time if Christ is really lord of your life if god really is alive how does that change how we live and shouldn't our life look different shouldn't we do business differently shouldn't we raise our kids differently than the unbelieving world paul tells us in first corinthians 10.5, 10.5, we are to destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Traces of this modern scientific No God kind of thinking is prevalent in our society. But over the last 25 years, our society has changed as well, hasn't it? It's become increasingly what's called postmodern. Whereas the modern age took for granted scientific rationalism and autonomous uh, self Postmodernism just sort of demis- dismisses those assumptions. And our postmodern world, the world that we live in today, even though there are traces of modernism, today, what the world is saying is there is no truth. Or at best, you have your truth and I have mine. But there is no truth ultimate truth. And if there is no ultimate truth, what are they rejecting? They're doing the same thing as modernism. They're rejecting God as the arbiter of truth. Science may no longer be all that it once was as the the source of truth for humanity. But both deny the fact that God Exists and tries to live life as though he doesn't. In a postmodern world, there is no morality. Who are you to tell me what I am doing or what I am feeling is wrong? This has led to The sexual revolution and the current growth of gender confusion. Morality and truth are considered fluid at best. Believe what you want. Reject what you don't want. Do what you want to do. In the end... postmodernism leads to a sort of existentialism that meaning life has no meaning at all. Eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow we may die. Or maybe there won't even be a tomorrow. So do what you want. Who cares? It's hopeless and self-destructive. And let's face it, if our society continues on the path that it's going we're going to self-destruct i don't see how we don't because postmodernism rejects morality everybody does what they want at the moment they want to do it we've become more like animals just living off of instinct without any thought of consequences. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> the world needs the church. Not to be another political action committee, but to be the church. The pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is an institution of proclamation. We stand firm, and we proclaim the truths of God's word. And it's the church that equips us as saints to live life out in the world, to be salt and to be light, in a dark place. We go out as Christians and consider justice and mercy. We think about how to love our neighbor and how to do good to all that we come in contact with. We go out to live life knowing that God is real. Christian, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works. And what? Glorify God. Your obedience, your faithfulness, in the midst of a sometimes depressing and dark world is a gospel witness. Just being faithful when the world wants to belittle you. But the false beliefs aren't just out there. Just as some of the Aspects of modernism infected the church, so has postmodernism. It's the disease that has entered the pulpit. There are postmodern Christians that do not believe the Bible is the Word of God. They may say they believe it, but in actuality, they don't. They may accept the Bible to the extent that it agrees with what they want. I like all the stuff about God is love, but don't tell me I can't sleep with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. That's not your business. Or I like how God forgives me, but I don't like the parts where God tells me I have to forgive other people. Last year, we preached through 1 Peter, and we got to chapter 2, and uh, verse 13 of chapter 2 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the, the emperor as supreme or the governors. Then a little later in that same chapter, talk about servants being subject to your master's even to the evil ones that mistreat you and then in chapter three we, we talked about how wise are to submit to their husbands people left our church over that just because we preached god's word i'm not saying i always like every part of the bible if i'm going to be honest There are parts that rub me the wrong way because they point a finger at areas of my life that I don't want to change. But God's word is what it is, isn't it, folks? It says what it says. And we're not to place ourselves to be the judge of God's word. God's word judges us. And it's God's gift to us so that we know what he wants for us. And what he wants for us is always best. There are those who are postmodern Christians who uh, do not submit to the authority of the Bible or the church. Because everyone should be an authority unto themselves in their thinking. Or others don't accept the the Penal substitutionary atonement of Christ, meaning uh, they're okay with the fact that Jesus was put to death by lawless men, but they don't agree that it was by the predetermined plan of God. In other words, they don't believe that Jesus died for sins, because if God put Jesus to death, they would say that's cosmic child abuse. But if God didn't put Jesus to death, if his death didn't pay for our sins, didn't satisfy God's justice, then we are to be pitied because we are still in our sin and under the condemnation of God. If Jesus didn't die, then we are eternally lost. But Jesus did die. His death did pay for sin. But then God raised him from the dead. And by his resurrection, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus, in his humanity, entered into a new state, a higher order of being by his resurrection. And now, by faith, he shares that with us. His resurrection is the first fruit of our future resurrection look at verse eight again of our text see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit meaning the world is held captive they think they're free but they're enslaved Fallen humanity is self-deluded. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They are blind to the reality of God and his truth. But the biggest problem that they have is they're blind to their own blindness. They don't even know. And they naturally want us to go along with them. And when we don't, they call us bigoted, closed-minded, intolerant, and sometimes even dangerous. So what are we to do? What's the answer? How do we keep ourselves by being sucked in by the philosophy and empty deceit of the world that's all around us it's hard to avoid it it's, in the, it's 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 everywhere the answer is to focus on the gospel to focus on Christ what does it say right at the beginning of our text Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. Continue in the gospel. Be faithful in the gospel. Give yourself to study God's word, to be shaped by what he says. I read uh, this quote. I think when we were going through uh, our statement of faith on Wednesday night uh, uh, a year or so ago, uh, it's from *The Christian Life* by Sinclair Ferguson. It's in the very first, matter of fact, it's the very first uh, few sentences of the book. He says, "When I first became involved in teaching God's Word, I tended to assume that one of the great needs of Christians is to be instructed in the quote deeper truths." Of the gospel, it was not long before experience of my own life and observations of others' lives taught me how mistaken I had been. I began to see that, in fact, the deeper truths, if there are such things, are really the old basic truths of the gospel. Far from being luxuries, they are necessities for Christian living. Then he goes on, the rather disturbing thought began to dawn on me that many of us who profess Christ are distressingly weak in our grasp of a basic framework of biblical doctrine. We assume that we know the elements of the message of the New Testament, but sometimes our understanding of them is like that of a child. It's pretty condemning. We begin and we end with the gospel. We focus on Christ because the best defense is a good offense. The better we know the gospel, the less likely we are to be deceived by false teaching. and and the opinions of others. The more clearly we understand Jesus and the gospel, the better equipped we are to recognize and reject that which is false. Pastor uh, John MacArthur, in one of his books, said federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying counterfeits. They study genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then when they see the bogus money, they recognize it. Verse 6, as you received Christ, so walk in him. Live out your faith. Be rooted and built up, established in the faith. Jude tells us to contend for the faith. Sometimes we think contending for the faith means we need to understand all the nuances of false teaching and worldviews and other religions so that we can refute them. And there is a a place to understanding other worldviews and religions. We spent two semesters on it, teaching Apologetics on Wednesday night. But just because you can win an argument doesn't mean someone's going to get saved. What people need is a clear understanding of the gospel. As you speak with respect to someone who disagrees, what you wanna do is lift up Christ so that they can see his excellence and his glory. We don't want to simply win arguments, we want people to come to Christ. The great apologetic text, 1 Peter three fifteen, but exalt Christ as Lord in your hearts, always ready to make a defense to any, anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you but do so with gentleness and respect. We engage in those conversations about what is true and how do we know truth, but in a way that rests not on our ability to win an argument, but rather to show Christ as Lord in our own life, in what we say and how we say it. We make the gospel known, which necessitates that we know the gospel clearly and thoroughly so that we're able to give answers to the questions that people ask. The wonderful thing is the gospel is simple enough that a small child can hear it Understand it and believe it. Yet, it is also so complex and so deep that we can spend our whole life studying God's Word and we could not know enough. It, there, there's more than another life to study's worth. It's never-ending because God is so great. And the gospel is so wonderful. If we want to avoid being deceived by human philosophy and reasoning, then an ever-growing understanding of the gospel is key. In Christ, there is life, and he is the truth. And we know him as he's revealed in Scripture, so we should give ourselves to be students of the word. All Scripture is breathed out, and therefore authoritative and true. And so we submit ourselves to it. The Bible as truth, get this, is better than empirical evidence or our own experiences. Think of the end of Second Peter one. Uh, Peter speaks of how he, along with James and John, were on the mountain of transfiguration. They saw with their own eyes the glorified Christ speaking with Moses and Elijah. They heard the voice from heaven speak about the Christ. But then after he recounts that, he, Peter says this in verse 19 of Second uh, Peter one, but we have the prophetic word which is more sure, meaning more reliable. What prophetic word verse twenty to twenty one no prophetic word of scripture comes by one 's own interpretation, for the word was not produced by the will of man, but God spoke through men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of God is a better source, is more reliable, is a greater truth than any empirical evidence we could ever gather. And so we place our heart and our faith on God who spoke it to us. And there is nothing better are more sure to give our hearts and lives to. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We're called to grow in our understanding, and so walk in him, which means we're called to obey Christ. Not that we might earn salvation, but out of gratitude and love, out of a heart full of thanks. Our walk in the faith gives evidence that we are born again. And so as we obey God, it shouldn't be done begrudgingly. Think of 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome to us. Are his commandments burdensome to you? Sometimes. Lord, help me. I love your commandments because I love you. The 17th century Welsh Presbyterian, Matthew Henry, said this, if we live in him, in Christ, we shall be rooted in him. And the more firmly we are rooted in him, the more intimately we shall live in him. The walking in the faith Is not a a checking off a list of rules, but giving our life as a living sacrifice to Christ. Our life is to be an offering of praise, an offering of thanksgiving. Will you pray with me? Our Father, help us to know where we have bought into the world's way of thinking. Help us to see where we have unbelief in our heart. And Father, help us to turn from it and to turn to you. Father, work in us to conform us to your image. Grow in us a greater love for you and for your word that we might believe it and that we might obey it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.